All right, so we are in 1 John chapter 4, and before we get into this chapter, just kind of a reminder of a few things. Uh, so, uh, 1 John is what you know, pretty much all preachers would tell you, it can be a difficult book. There's a lot of verses that by themselves, they just like, you know, what is this talking about? And so we've been, uh, the way I've kind of been presenting this book is I've set up a scenario that we know was around in the Bible time, and are kind of assuming that, you know, this is what John is dealing with and why things are stated the way they are. Now, when it comes to all of these things, I can't conclusively tell you this is what's going on. You know, when we have these letters that they wrote, um, we don't have dates on them. It doesn't tell them, you know, it's when they wrote them. Uh, and it doesn't even give us a whole lot of detail as far as uh, in here. We don't even know where it was at. And, but at the same time, I will tell you, um, as I've been going through this book and as we've been studying through the book of Acts too, this is just my opinion, all right? And if, if I may just insert my opinion, it is only my opinion and it does not make anything more credible that I say. But, you know, it, I, I feel like as I'm reading this that this was probably something that John wrote pretty early on in the church history, possibly while he, while he was still... Uh, at, around Jerusalem. And I, the reason I say that is as we've been studying this and studying through the book of Acts. And when you see exactly what was going on in the church in, um, in Jerusalem, in the book of Acts, it just kind of makes sense that this is what you would write to those people. It could have been a completely different group. If you look, go online and you try to read the dating of the book of 1 John, it tells you it was written way after, after Jerusalem was destroyed. And it very well could have been. I don't know how they get these dates. I don't know how they come up with this stuff. But, uh, but either way you look at it, um, you know, this, I, I still believe the scenario is the same. That he is writing to Jewish believers in Christ. People who believe the Old Testament, who stay true to the Old Testament, and they follow Jesus Christ into the New Covenant. I think either way... That works. And you know what? Uh, and we do know from the Bible that John was commissioned to minister specifically to the circumcision or to the Jews. And I will say this too. In the book of Acts, every time we see John mentioned, he's in Jerusalem. But I, So, um, you know, there, there's a lot that we don't know about all this stuff. So again, I, you know, I'm not going to pretend I'm up here uh, saying everything, you know, 100% accurate on everything. There's definitely things that I'm assuming... And you know what? As all theologians do when it comes to this. The question is, is what we're saying line up with the rest of the scriptures? And that's what's important. And, we're, and we don't want to contradict the rest of the scriptures. And so if you're teaching sinless perfection from 1 John 3, you're contradicting a lot of other scriptures. And at least I think what we're doing here, it doesn't contradict the rest of the Bible. But you know, keep all those things in mind that if you were a Jew in the old, during the Old Testament period, and then Jesus Christ comes... You're not changing religions. You're actually being obedient. But at the same time, we know that most Jews did not believe on Christ. They rejected him and they persecuted their own brethren. The people that they used to worship with, we know they persecuted them. They killed them. And it, uh, we, we know those things happen. And so I think what we're seeing here is something very similar going on. And so now in chapter 4, uh, we're going to see him talking a lot about love. In the previous chapter, and the previous chapters, we've seen him talking about hating your brother. 
that if you hate your brother, you're like Cain. You're of that wicked one. And so now we're in chapter 4, and he goes on in verse 1. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And one thing that we know happened real quick into the early church is false prophets started coming in and started teaching false doctrine. I mean, the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, he told him, he's like, I cease not to warn you every night, night and day with tears. He said, I know as soon as I leave, grievous wolves are going to come in. What was going on? Satan was going to sow tares among the wheat. And so imagine what it was like in that early church. Obviously, they didn't have the scriptures like we do. But you know what they did have? They had pure doctrine. I mean, these apostles are preaching filled with the Holy Spirit. The heresies have not come in yet. Now, think about that. Put yourself back then where all the new heresies have not come in yet. Nobody's taught modalism yet. You know, there, there was not a Mormon Jesus yet. There wasn't a Catholic Jesus yet. There wasn't a worship of Mary yet. There wasn't, uh, you know, work salvation probably was, you know, it, that came in real quick. But at the same time, a lot of the heresies that we have to deal with all the time, were not around yet. But at the same time, they immediately started coming. And he said, many false prophets are coming in the world. And so because of that, he, know what he said? He said, try the spirits. He said, try the spirits. He didn't just tell them, check the words, even though we should check the words. We should check and make sure things line up with the scripture. But they didn't have the completed Bible like, like we do today. But I do believe we still need to try the spirits and make sure what these people are saying, while it might be verbally correct in many ways, you got to check with people sometimes because there are other spirits. There's a lot of false prophets and they are going to come in privily and bring in their damnable heresies. They're not just going to outright say, you know, Jesus is fake. They're not going to do that. They're, they're, they're more crafty than that. And so he said in verse two, so he's going to tell them some things that they could do so they will know if they are of God. And in verse two, he says, hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is this, this, that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So right here, this is a very cut and dry statement that's definitely a good test. If somebody comes along and says, Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh, false prophet for sure that's that's pretty easy right but here's here's the problem we have today there's a lot of people that confess that jesus christ has come in the flesh but we would agree they're not of god do the catholics teach that jesus christ has come in the flesh yes they do you know do the pentecostals do all the work salvation people confess that jesus christ has come in the flesh well of course they do so do we now have to declare them saved you know because i mean he says it right here but you got to remember the, a lot of the heresies hadn't come in yet. They were starting. I mean, he, he, and he told them, Antichrist is going to come. And even now, are there many Antichrists? The false doctrines immediately started coming in. And so, folks, this is why we have to try the spirits. Because okay? not all the people who are claiming Jesus is the Messiah today are of God. Because there's all kinds of heresies that have come in. And we've, we've got to make sure they're actually talking about the same Jesus. Because I will say, if they confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, then they're of God. But is it the same Jesus? We, we need to ask ourselves, 
that question. Because there was a, I do believe back then, you know, they didn't have to be as specific because the false doctrine hadn't come in yet, a lot of them. And, you know, to kind of illustrate, right, there was a time at a McMurtry family reunion, if somebody hollered for Tommy, it would get its intended purpose done because there was only one Tommy. But I remember when I was a kid and I would get around my dad's family and everybody called my dad Tom. I was used to hearing people do that or pass Tom, but Tom, I never... I was Tommy, my dad was Tom. But I remember whenever we would go visit his family and his mom and his brothers and sisters were around, they all still called him Tommy. And so we would be there and people would say, you know, they would say Tommy and then, you know, I would answer. And so I was used to that. So the thing is, you know, now that there's two Tommies, you had to be a little more specific. So they always would call me Little Tommy. I, you know, I, I was Little Tommy uh, for the longest time. You know, even after I wasn't even that little anymore, I was just still... Little Tommy. Now, we haven't been to any family reunions in a long time, but now, if we went, if the whole family went, there's actually going to be three Tommies. you got, you got to get more specific. Just saying Tommy is not going to do the intended purpose anymore. And, you know, back then, when these things were just getting started, if people said Jesus, everybody knew who it was. Everybody knew who you're talking about. If they said the gospel, everybody knew what you're talking about. But you know what? Now, we have many Jesuses out there. There's a Mormon Jesus that's out there that's brothers with the devil you know you've got the jehovah's witness jesus that was that was created by god and you've got the catholic jesus that looks like a long-haired hippie you know there's you know you've got that you've got the charismatic jesus that would never judge anyone you know we there's all kinds of jesuses out there and so they will verbally say a lot of things but start listening to the peop these people, start listening to their gospel message, and it's not the message that Jesus preached. I mean, don't we get told all the time we're not very Christ-like for preaching things that Jesus preached? You know, I saw a post the other day, somebody did, saying if Jesus were preached today, a lot of people would criticize him for not being very Christ-like. And it's true. And why is that? You know why? Because we, people have come up with another Jesus which is what antichrist means. It's, it's not just against, but it's another. It's another Christ. And so there are many antichrists today. So when somebody comes along and they profess Christ and it's a different Jesus, we do, you can't just take this verse here and say, well, no, we got to accept him as a brother. No, they're talking about another Jesus. And he flat out said in this passage, there are many antichrists and there's a lot of fake Jesuses out there. And so, no, we are not just going to accept everyone who just claims the name of Jesus. It's got to be the same Jesus. They've got to be professing faith in the same gospel, the gospel that we see in the Bible. And so it, it makes it confusing now because there's so many out there. And we talk to people all the time. Yeah, I'm a believer in Jesus. But, you know, you start trying the spirits. You start talking to these people a little bit. And you'll find out, no. Uh, they're not even close. So verse 4 goes on to say, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. And let me tell you, the world will always be more friendly to those who are not of God. They can understand their message better. They can relate to it better. You know, where our message, it forces those who are in darkness to look into the light and see themselves for what they really are. 
And you know, the truth is, the world does not like our Jesus. You know why? Because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And we see it today where even, I mean, we've, I've seen it even recently where you'll have homosexuals out there criticizing Christians for being against them. And it's like, Jesus wouldn't be that way. And it's like, what Jesus are you reading about? And the truth is, you know, they've never taken a good look at the Jesus of the Bible because he shines a light in their darkness and, and that's in their life. And so what they've done is instead of just outright rejecting Jesus, they, what, what a lot of them have done is they have just come up with a new one. You know, they've come up with a more earthly friendly one that goes along with whatever the morality of the world is. And folks, that is not the Jesus that we see in the Bible. You know, and it's like, have you all ever read Revelation 19? I mean, that's the Jesus of the Bible. One who is killing people with a sword, a two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. One who's got, there's one who has seven vials that are filled up with his wrath in heaven. Oh, you people, you get all so upset. You get up so angry about sin. You're not very Christ-like. Okay? Because we're mad. No, Jesus literally has seven vials saved up and stored away in heaven where he's just been filling his wrath up. And one of these days he's going to pour it out and a lot of damage is going to be done. That's the Jesus of the Bible. But boy, you talk about that today and people look at you like you're from another planet. And and then these same people, you know, that go to these churches that have the rainbow flags hanging out there, they will talk about Jesus. If you ask them, do you believe Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? They'll say, well, of course I do. But then they'll teach all this other nonsense. You know what that is? That's called, that's called antichrist. And so we try the spirits. We test them. We check. To, we, we, let, we let them talk about their Jesus to see if it's the same one. And folks, it's not the same one. It, it, he doesn't even resemble the Jesus that we see in the Bible. And so, the, but, they, but the thing is, these people are a lot more popular. You know why? Because they are of the world and the world. Say they, the world here, them. I like that Jesus. I like the hippie Jesus. I don't like that Baptist Jesus. I don't like that one of the Bible. And so, you know, we, we don't get to sugarcoat the message. And you can try to sugarcoat it all you want. You can try to tone it down, tame it down a little bit. But you know what you'll be doing? You'll be preaching another Jesus. And we can't do that. We've got enough of those. And so verse 6 says, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And often in the Bible, when it's talking about hearing, it's not talking about, you know, audio so much, but it's talking about understanding. And so people who know God, when they hear us speaking of Jesus Christ, they get it. Yeah, I know that Jesus. I'm familiar with that Jesus. And so, you know, we kind of have a connection there. We get what they are saying. And it would be like me, or like if somebody came to me and says like, hey, I know your dad. And then they started talking about my dad and like, you know what? I met your dad at a ball game wearing a Cardinal shirt. Like, well, that doesn't sound like my dad. My dad's never liked the Cardinals. You know, I saw your dad at the Democrat National Convention. No... No, you know, I, I saw your dad, you know, waving a rainbow flag at the pride parade in town. I was like, no, that wasn't my dad. No, it was your dad. I probably, no, 
I know my dad. That wasn't my dad. God might have looked like my dad. You know, he might even have a similar name or something, but that, that's not my dad. There's just some things that, you know, you're not going to see my dad do. And I, I know him. And so when you tell me, the, if, if you're telling me something like that, you know, we're not going to have any kind of connection here. You, you clearly don't know him. And so because we know God, when we hear these people speak, we can know if they're of God or not. And uh, it's, there's this, it, it just becomes very clear if you actually know God. And so we can know the spirit of truth and spirit of error. And, you know, here's an interesting thing about this, too. And I've seen this. I've seen a lot of examples of this. I've heard a lot of testimonies of this. But even people who get saved and are very young in their Christianity, a lot of times when they're truly saved and they get in a bad church, somehow they know it. It's like they know it and they hear that preaching. It's just like there's something wrong with this. And a lot of times it's several years before they get into the right kind of church, but they get in that church finally. And then all of a sudden, hey, this is clicking. This is making sense. This actually lines up with the spirit that's in me, the spirit that's, that I'm hearing from the pulpit. This resonates with the spirit that is in me. There's there, there, these things. They're in common. These things are in agreement. We're going to see examples of that in the next chapter. And so then all of a sudden they start hearing certain teaching and they get it. And it is it's it's. Uh, uh, one thing, you know, people bring up all the time. They come up with these these foolish arguments. Like if a person is saved, you know, let's say a person gets saved because you people believe once saved, always saved. But then that person goes into Catholicism or that person goes into Mormonism and all these things. Do they are they still saved? I mean, they're teaching all this damnable heresy. Listen, a person who knows God, he's going to know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And that Holy Spirit is not going to let you have peace listening to some Mormon get up and preach about you know, Jesus and the devil being brothers. He's not going to let you have peace with that. I'm not saying a newly saved person can't be deceived by things. There's a lot of things that can deceive you and kind of cause you know, shipwreck in your faith and it'll make you ineffective as a Christian. But I'm just I'm telling you. You know, there's just, there's something in us that when we hear things, we know it's wrong. And I've been there before. Even when I was younger, I would hear people preach things and I would just be like, something's wrong with that. I didn't know what it was. I couldn't go to the Bible and show you where the error was. I wasn't skilled enough in the word at that time, but I knew there was something wrong with it. And eventually, you know, after studying for a while, I figured out what it was. And I'm telling you, you know, we often call this, you know, just kind of going with your gut. But, you know, it's really called following the leading of the Holy Spirit is what it is. And, you know, you would do well to, to do that. When you hear preaching, it's just like something's not right about this. Okay? Don't, don't get up and blast the preacher, when you, especially if you don't even know, you know, why it's wrong. But, you know what? Go ahead and take note of that because preachers don't always get everything right. And a lot of times what you've got going on, the Holy Spirit's telling you there's, there's something wrong with that. And you know what? You would do very well to pay attention to that. You do very well. Don't so don't attack yet. Wait until you know what's going on. But don't just don't just swallow everything that's put in front of you. And that's how a lot of people are. And I, I don't even think you ought to be that way here. I don't think you ought to just be ready to just drink any Kool-Aid I put in front of you. You know, find out what's in it first. And a lot of people, man, 
you know, Baptists, we find the Kool-Aid drinkers somehow. You know, they're kind of attracted to our churches sometimes, and they will go along with anything. You know, we shouldn't be that way. And there's a lot of errors that are out there. And so, uh, I, I don't think we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as much as we should. I don't think we pay attention to that. I don't think we think about it enough. You need to think about that a lot. And He's going to guide you into all the truth. So, verse 7 He's kind of getting specific here because well, a lot of times what we like to do is read some of the general statements in 1 John and then we apply them wherever we want. But I think we ought to apply them where John did. And so I'm going to say some things uh, in the next part of this message you know, here in a little bit that you've all probably heard before and you've probably cringed when you've heard these things before. People say this stuff in the IFB all the time and I cringe when I hear it, but I'm going to say some of these things that people say a lot, but I believe what they're you know, I believe they're misapplying these things. And if we apply it in the right place, I think it's actually okay. So I don't want to get ahead of myself, but verse seven, look what it says. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So he's exhorting them to follow the commandment of Jesus Christ. And this has been emphasized throughout the letter. We've seen this over and over again. Loving God, loving Christ, you know, confessing Christ, loving the brethren. This has been emphasized constantly. It says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this is also really straightforward. This is to the point. It says, you, can, you can't get around this verse. And so, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. I just can't figure out how to love these people. Why not? Do you not know God? Have you not experienced his love? We love him because he first loved us. He set an example of love. He set an example of compassion, of forgiveness, of mercy. And you're going to tell me you don't know how to do that? You know, we all expect the son of someone to just kind of know how to do certain things. You know, if, if he's the son of a carpenter, we expect him to know how to build something. If he's the son of a mechanic, we expect him to know something about cars. You know, And that's not always the case, but you do. You just kind of have that expectation a lot of times. But let me tell you something. When it comes to a child of God, we expect them to know something about love. Because the whole thing that got you saved was believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You, suppose, you, you confess that you believe that God sent His Son into the world to die for your sin. And the Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you claim to believe on that, and then you're going to tell me you don't know how to love? That doesn't seem right for somebody who claims faith in the greatest example of love in the history of the universe. That doesn't make, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love, I think this is very to the point. And so if I may use some common lines that you hear in the IFB, um, but often they're applied to other sins, I'm going to steal them. So I've never heard things along this. And so I'm just going to say it this way. If you don't love the children of God, there's something wrong with you. Right? Now, usually what preachers do, you know, if you don't come to church every time the doors are open, there's something wrong with you. I heard a preacher say that one time. He's like, some of you, you come to church on Sunday morning and we don't see you again until the next Sunday morning. There's something wrong with you. Okay, like, like you're not saved. 
Right? Now, and, and they'll do that with any sin that they're upset about that night. You know, whatever sin you're still doing, whatever sin you're still struggling with, there's something wrong with you. I wonder if you really got it. You know, I don't think we can say that for just... And then they'll go to 1 John. But wait, what's he talking about here in 1 John? He's talking about people who have no love. And specifically for the brethren. And But you know what? I will say, actually based on Scripture... That if you don't love the children of God, there's something wrong with you. If you just can't stand being around God's people, and if you have hatred in your heart for God's people, I'd check my salvation. You ever heard them say that for things? But usually, you know, they'll talking about, you know, sins of the flesh. You know, you can't get over that drinking. You can't get over that smoking. I'd check my salvation. Well, no, the flesh, it's very strong. It's very powerful. You know, our flesh, it's always wanting sinful things. But let me tell you something. Loving God, hating God's people, that is unnatural. You know, we don't, you know, we don't think there's something wrong with our boys when they get to an age and they start noticing girls. You know, obviously, there's great potential for sin there. There's great potential for lust. But you don't look at your boy and think, oh, you know, something's wrong with them. Now, if they look at other boys and do that, you think something's very wrong. You know, why? Because that's, un, that's unnatural. That's not, that's not normal. I don't care what the world says. That's not normal. And let me tell you something else that's not normal. Christians hating other Christians. That's not normal. That's, that's not a natural thing. And people get so bent out of shape if you even say that. You know, you've got some people that are just so stinking carnal and wicked even after they're saved. They get mad at you preaching about any sin, you know, like it, you know, means you're not saved. And I don't think we ought to just go around doing that. But I will say that when it comes to hating your brethren. Why? Because we have very clear scriptures. He that loveth not knoweth not God. I don't believe you know God if you don't know how to love your brethren. And so, uh, you know, if you have no ability to love, maybe you just need to get saved. And I, I, will, I will say that. If you have no ability to love other people, Pastor, I just can't find a way to love people. I think you need to get saved. I think if you are born of God, then you know what? Just like my children that are born of me have certain character, characteristics from me, you know what? If you're born of God, you're going to have one of those characteristics of God and you're going to love God's people. But, you know, I'm not going to say that for just any sin. Y'all understand that? And that's what a lot of people do. They go to 1 John, and then they act like if you're struggling with any sin, you're not saved. No, what John talked about was hating your brethren. And so I don't think we ought to do that. And so, cause, and understand again, we often get in the flesh. We often have hard feelings towards people. I'm not saying you're never going to get offended by a brother. You know, I'm not going to tell you you're never going to get annoyed by a brother in Christ. That you're never going to get angry at another brother in Christ. But let me tell you, and, and those feelings, anger, annoying, you know, annoyance, disgust, all those things, they can cause us to do some really bad sin. But you know, the truth is, if you can't find any love in your heart towards the people of God, there is a problem that's unnatural. Because your kids can annoy you, your kids can aggravate you, they can make you angry, they can make you lose your temper. I mean, folks, that's, I mean, children are one of the biggest tests of everything in your self-control, aren't they? But at the same time, you still love them. Have you ever seen it before 
where you have two brothers or brothers and sisters that fight with each other all the time, but then you watch somebody else from outside the family come and mess with that same sibling, and then boom, they're ready. They're ready to fight. I I saw. I I I used to be friends with some guys. There were there were these brothers. They fought with each other all the time. And it was entertaining to watch. And they would just get angry. They would say mean, vicious things to each other. I mean, it would get ugly sometimes watching these guys. And, and, and I, was, I would find it entertaining. I didn't have any brothers. And I, but I remember that oldest one especially. If he would see anyone do anything to his brother, he was all over him. And I, there, was a couple, there was one time I saw him. Somebody did something to his brother. And he just... I mean, charged that dude and just ran when the kid went flying into the wall. It was hilarious. And I'm, I remember thinking, why is he so mad? He hates his brothers. But, you know, he didn't hate his brothers. You know, he just, he just get aggravated all the time. I saw another time when somebody did something to his brother that was, and it was bigger than him. And he went after that guy. What, what is it? You know what? That's normal. That's nature. And so we do. You know, I'm not telling you that Christians are never going to be at odds with each other, that you're never going to have a problem with somebody. But if you can't figure out, if you can't find any love for the people of God, that is as unnatural as it gets. That does not make sense for, for a child of God to have hatred in their heart for their brethren. And so, so just like parents put up with all kinds of things from their children because, we, because they love them, and we're like that with our family. Parents, they put up with kids and their messy diapers and the horrible messes they make and just all the catastrophes and all the things that your kids destroy around the house. I mean, all these terrible things happen all the time and you get aggravated, you get angry, but you know what? You never stop loving those kids. I mean, how many parents have ever gotten angry at your children? I mean, you, you lost your temper because maybe they destroyed something in the house. Maybe they drew on the walls or they you know, tore up the furniture or something like that. But at the same time, as mad as your child got, as you got at your child, as much as you felt like strangling them at that moment, did you know what? If your house ever started to burn down, first thing you're going to do is get those kids out of that house. And you're not even going to think about the furniture and stuff. You know why? Because you love those kids. You love them more than you do furniture and any of those other things. And so... I don't want you to take these passages here and then, you know, you know, somebody has a, some kind of scuffle with somebody or aggravated. They must not be saved. No, that's not the case. And again, what we were talking about back here during this time, I mean, this was real hatred. This was persecution, killing other believers. This wasn't like the typical, you know, spats people get into at church. Okay, so don't go around... Uh, you know, declaring each other unsaved because somebody got aggravated with somebody. That's not what we're supposed to do. But, um, but again, having hatred, that shows something very wrong. And a lot of people don't like that. They don't like you talking about evidence of salvation because a lot of times these people have no evidence of their salvation. But let me show you what Paul said. Paul said something very similar in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. He said, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. 
So he's telling this church, and this was when Paul's in prison, they're under persecution, and he's telling them not to be terrified by their adversaries, people that are persecuting them, people that are trying to kill them, people that are trying to get them thrown into prison. Paul said, don't be afraid of them, your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. You know what Paul said about these adversaries, these people that were persecuting the church? That's a token of their perdition. You know what it is? It's like, it's like a symbol. It's like something you, that you hold evidence that I am not saved. And you know, when you see people out there persecuting churches, hating on churches, you know what? Those people might as well just be wearing a big patch or a big button that says, I am on my way to hell. It's an evident token of perdition. And so Paul's using the same reasoning here. And so in 1 John chapter, chapter 4, verse 9, it says, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And we talked about this this morning. When the Bible talks about God's love, it doesn't talk about the warm, fuzzy feeling. It talks about the actions. And it mentions again, God sending His only begotten Son. And one of the most notable attributes of God is His love. And we are supposed to be living through him and you can't do that without love you can't pretend to be godly and not have love for other people you cannot pretend that you act like god and you're you're being obedient to god when you don't have love verse 10 here in his love not that we love god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins again mentioning what god did for us when talking about his love and it mentions, too, that the love of God, and this is the kind of love we're supposed to have, the love of God is a love that loves first. God loved us while we were unlovable. God loved us first, and then we loved Him back, and that's how we're supposed to be with other people. We're supposed to love them first. We are supposed to initiate love. That's who we are. That is our responsibility. And that is a commandment from God. That means, you know, loving your enemies. That's you initiating love. An enemy, there's somebody that's doing something that's bad, something that's against you. And then you returning love, you know, that's definitely of God. That's not what normal people do. Typically, you know, railing for railing, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's kind of how we are. But no, we're supposed to give love in return and then hopefully you know those people will eventually come around and will eventually love us that's the way it's supposed to go but either way we're if we're going to be like god we need to have love like him and that's a love that loves first we should be the love initiators and that that's the right thing to do so verse 11 beloved if god so loved us we ought also to love one another and you know what if god found a way to love you then you can find a way to love others. And, you know, and I'm always amazed too by people, you know, just because there's such a thing as reprobates and all that stuff, it's like anytime you just talk about love, they're always like wanting to talk about the exceptions. Like, are you really running into that many exceptions? You know, and, or they're always looking for an excuse to get out of love. No, we should be looking for an excuse to love people. That's, that should be our attitude. We should always be looking for a way to go ahead and love these people. We should always be looking for an excuse to forgive somebody. That should be our attitude. We should always be looking for an opportunity and a reason 
that we can bring someone back in the fold. We shouldn't be looking for a reason to get people out of the fold. That should, our attitude should be one of we are initiating love. We're not asking, do they deserve you know, good treatment? We should be looking for an excuse to give them good treatment. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of examples of that in the Bible. There's plenty of reason. And the best evidence of that is the fact that God loves us. But unfortunately, we get on a high horse sometimes. And we get to acting like it was easy for God to love us. And if you think it was easy for God to love you, you need to read your Bible a little bit more. You need to look a little bit more into the holiness of God. You need to start reading the law of God and seeing the things that God uh, wants and expects. And if you do that, you know what? You're going to find all kinds of excuses to just go ahead and love other people. And I believe that is the way that we ought to be. One of the things, and, you know, and I wish just Baptists could figure this out. You know one thing that has gotten me in more trouble in the IFB than anything. The thing that gets me in trouble with more Baptist preachers than anything is people that I'm nice to. I get, I get more criticism for Baptists that I'm nice to than pretty much anything else. Because I'm nice, I, I like a lot of people that other Baptists don't want me liking. And it's like, oh, well, this pastor, he preaches this. This pastor does that. You know, I'm looking for a reason to like them. And you know, when it comes to Baptists, I can almost always find a reason to like them. I really can. And you, but you know what else, too? If I wanted, I can almost always find a reason to not like them. You know why? Because I haven't found a Baptist yet that's exactly like me. And, and, but you know, I'm not looking for that either. I'm looking for an excuse. And so when I listen to somebody's preaching, you know, I'm not looking for something I can nail them with. And I do. I hear things preached all the time. I'm looking for an excuse to like what they're saying. You know, that, that's kind of, that's how I'm trying to be. And you know what? I'm going to, I'll probably keep getting attacked for it. I don't care. I, I really don't care. I think this is how we should be. It's how I want to be. I've got plenty of enemies out there. I don't need to be trying to find a way to make more. And, and again, as long as I, I think you're allowed to do that, as long as you're not compromising, as long as you're not letting people change you, I think it's okay for you to be loving. I think, you know what? I don't think you would be wrong if you went and were friendly and maybe invited some of your neighbors over for dinner. You know, oh, Patsy, you don't understand. They're Lutherans. You know, I... You know, I think you could still be nice to them. I think you could still show love to them. Oh, well, you know, they're not religious. I, we can find reasons to be nice to people and loving to people. And if you can't find any inspiration for that, just read about Jesus. And it's okay to find a way to do that. We can always find a reason to nail somebody and condemn somebody. I mean, folks, there's a lot of sins in the Bible and people are going to go to hell for those sins. So are you looking for a reason to condemn them? And to you know, remind them that they're going to hell? Or are you looking for a chance to love them and show them that there's forgiveness? And you are. You are allowed to show a lot of grace for people. And there will always be some religious Pharisees ready to nail your hide to the wall for it. And you, you know what? Don't worry about it. So, verse 12 says, um, or verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. And for someone to claim knowledge of God, but yet no knowledge of how to love like God, 
That doesn't make any sense. Because here's the thing. You say that you... Wait, you're, so you're telling me that you know God, but yet you don't know love? That doesn't make sense because the Bible tells us that no man has seen God at any time. So none of us have ever physically seen God before. So if we have a knowledge of God, it's something that comes from the Spirit of God. And so you're going to tell me you have the Spirit of God and you have no love for people? Again, that doesn't make any sense. That does not line up with the Bible. And that's why he said that too. No man has seen God at any time. No one could claim to have a knowledge of God because they've seen Him, because nobody has. The knowledge that people have of God it's something that comes from the spirit that is within us. And so for someone to claim to have that spirit of God and no love, we don't have to believe that. That doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense at all. And so verse 13, he goes on to say, because this is where the knowledge of God comes from. Okay, Your knowledge of God does not just come from reading the Bible, even though we do learn a lot from that, because there's a lot of lost people, they can read the Bible and they still don't know the love of God. Real knowledge of the love of God, it comes from the Spirit of God. It says, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. So we know these things through the Spirit of God. So you can't, you know, you can read certain facts. And there's a lot of people out there today that say, Love thy neighbor. There's a lot of people today, I've seen it before when there's like an execution or something going on. There's always protesters out there holding up signs that say, thou shalt not kill, you know, love thy neighbor, stuff like that. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. How can we love our neighbor and let people get away with murder? That's not very loving. How can we love our neighbor and support perversion? You can't do that, folks. But yet people are saying these things and they're quotes from the Bible. So they know how to read, but they clearly have no idea how to apply it. You know why? Because they don't have the spirit of God. That knowledge, it comes from the spirit of God. And so anyone can learn certain facts from the Bible. A lot of people are fantastic at repeating back facts. They're smart enough. They can memorize scripture. But you know what? There are some things that can only be learned through the spirit of God. And if you think that the Spirit will educate you, you know, on, or that if you think the Spirit will educate you on just anything and everything other than love, you're grossly mistaken. I know all about end times prophecy through the Spirit of God. I know nothing about the love of God. I don't think your knowledge is from the Spirit of God. I think it's one of the first things He's going to teach you. It's one of the most important things. It's one of the most notable things of God. He's going to teach you about the love of God. Great. You, th- you think you know all about this doctrine. You think you know all about that, this, this other doctrine because you've memorized these facts. You've watched enough YouTube videos. You know what to say. You know what lines to speak. You know what we want to hear. But at the same time, you have no capability of showing love for other people. You know what's going on? You've not learned anything through the Spirit of God. You've learned a bunch of things from man. You've learned a bunch of facts from man, but you know what? What we need is to learn things from the Spirit of God. And you know what He's going to teach you? He's going to teach you how to love one another. That's what the Spirit of God does. And it says in verse 14, And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And remember, just because those words exit someone's mouth, it doesn't mean they're of God. We've got to try the Spirit. We've got to make sure it's the right Jesus. Verse 16, 
And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. There, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, this is a beautiful verse right here. That it's, it is it's just a very beautiful sounding verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. That, that, that's a beautiful passage of Scripture right there. But what does that mean? Okay. This is what it means. Because if we love God and love our neighbor, on these, these two things, remember Jesus said, hang all the law and the prophets. So, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, when it says, fear hath torment, all right, whenever we sin, there's judgment for that sin, right? And so, a lot of times, what we have a lot of people today, they are living a life of fear of the law. They are living a life, they, you know, if I mess up in this area, if I mess up in that area, I'm going to have judgment. And they're always trying to just kind of do things by their work. They're always trying to follow some checklist. A lot of people, they do, they just, they have that fear uh, of sinning because of the judgment that comes with it. But what we're seeing here, it's like if I'm going to make a mistake, or I'm always going to make mistakes. I'm always going to, you know, because of my flesh, I'm going to do things that don't always line up with the scriptures, even without realizing it sometimes. But the truth is, when we do things from the heart through love, did you know you're just naturally going to get things right? Because here, we, none of us in here can quote all the laws of God, can we? We don't even know what they all are. So, you know, have you ever been reading through the Old Testament and you find another thing that you don't do right? And it's just like, good night. You know, and, I, and I'm not telling you not to worry about it. I'm not telling you don't sweat the small stuff. And I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that. But if, if you're depending on your memory of the law to help you get things right, all you're going to be doing is just walking around freaked out all the time. You know, because I don't even know if I remember all the laws. You know, you're, you're just, it's going to be torment. But the truth is, if you can, instead of walking around with a great big list of rules you're trying to follow every day, if you can walk around with love in your heart, did you know you're just, you're just going to naturally get things right? If you have love in your heart towards your brother, it's, you're not going to sin against them. If you have love in your heart towards God, you're just naturally going to do the right thing without even thinking about it. Perfect love casteth out fear. I'm the, you know, if, if my wife, if she has to do a list of things every day in order for me to stay married to her, She's going to do that list of things out of fear. But the truth is, if we just have real, true love for each other, those things are just naturally going to take place. And then she's just going to do it because it's how she feels, it's who she is, it's just the way things are. The perfect love casteth out fear. And a lot of people today are doing the right thing in their marriage, but you know what? They're doing it with torment. You know why? Because it's, it's not for the right reasons. They're staying married together maybe for religious purposes. They're Catholic and you know, divorce is a big sin and they don't want to go to hell. 
So instead, they feel like they're suffering hell on earth. Stay, is that what God wants? No. God wants us doing these things for the right reason. So if my actions are guided and motivated by the law, I will have fear because there's judgment in the law. But when I do things from the heart and love and I'm following the Spirit, you know, the Bible says, again, such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. You're not going to be violating God's law when you're doing things out of love. So verse 19 says, we love Him because He first loved us. Again, God initiating the love. And if you've ever felt love towards God, that was you responding to His love. Okay? Bible says no man seeketh after God. If you ever felt like you were seeking God in your life, it was because God was drawing you. God is always the initiator of every of everything. We just respond. Uh, and uh, and we need to make sure we initiate love with other people. If a man verse 20 if a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And I didn't say that. John said that. doesn't make sense. You're going you're to stand here today and you're going to tell me you're a believer in God. You believe His words. You trusted in the love of God and what Jesus did for you on the cross. You, you, you're telling me you believe your salvation. It was without any works of your own. It was all through Jesus Christ. And yet, you're, you know, you're part of the family of God, but yet you still don't know how to love your brother. You hate your brother because of sin. And you don't know how to forgive that, even though you're telling me you're going to heaven in spite of your sin because of God's love for you. You know what? You're a liar. And I think this is funny, too, because a lot of people have this attitude. We just got to believe everybody. Somebody comes along and says they're, they're a Christian. We're just supposed to believe them. No, we're not. No, no, we're not. And if there's somebody, too, they're hating their brother. They're talking about another Jesus. They're not confessing that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. We're not going to claim as a brother. They are liars. And this is why, too, we don't change our doctrine when somebody goes out from us because the Bible told us there's going to be liars. The Bible told us there's going to be false prophets. But people are trying to change their doctrine. It's like, well, you know what? We thought they were saved. They went out from us. I guess they lost their salvation. No. No. The Bible does not teach anywhere that anyone ever could lose their salvation. But it does teach that there are those who will profess it, but they are liars. And so that's just, you know, what we will assume someone is. So verse 21, And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. This commandment repeated over and over again. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments, but the new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples in the Gospel of John. And the truth is, what I titled this message is the easy commandment. This commandment is not a hard commandment. This is something that's easy. It says in chapter 5, in verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And I believe it's referring to the commandments that, have been, that are contained in 1 John. And it says, and His commandments are not grievous. You know what he's saying? It's not hard, folks. He hasn't asked you to do something hard. He's, at, he's asked us to do something that should be really easy. He's asked us to do things that should come really natural to us. We shouldn't have to tell people today. You know, we shouldn't have to, you know, 
Did, did any of you husbands, when your wife had that first baby, have to go and tell us, listen, honey, you need to love that baby. You need to make, you know, you need to care for that baby. You don't have to tell them that. It is the most natural thing in the world for a mom to love that baby. And if you have to explain, tell them that, something's probably wrong. So what about these moms that cook their babies and stuff like that? They're almost always on some kind of drugs when that happens. Okay, and, you know, and there are people that get demon possessed. You know, that, but again, that, that, that's another that's another thing. It is it is a natural thing, and I do I think loving the brethren is one of the easiest commandments there is. Commandments about behavior, they're different sometimes. They're difficult sometimes. You know, commandments about how we treat other people, and even commandments about how to treat our brothers sometimes can be difficult. We're supposed to forbear one another. But you know what's interesting how Paul said to forbear one another or put up with each other? He said to do it in love. That's, that's how we motivate ourselves to do the things that are hard. Is he saying, you know, uh, you know we're, so we've got to put up with people's bad habits. We've got to put up with people's issues. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. Some of that stuff can be difficult. And so when Paul brought up these things that we're supposed to do for our brethren that are difficult, you know what he would invoke to help you do that? Your love. Something that Paul knew would be there in your life. Your love for the brethren. And so those doing those things can sometimes be difficult. Jesus going to the cross, that was a very difficult thing. We see that in the Bible. I mean, Jesus wanted that cup to be able to pass from him. But guess what? Jesus was able to do that very hard thing. You know why? Because of his love for us. And parents, you do hard things all the time. What is it that motivates you? Love for your children. And that's how we do the hard things. And there are hard things. There are commandments. There, there are things we're supposed to do that might even grieve you a little bit sometimes. But the one thing that doesn't grieve us is love. We use that love to motivate us to do the hard things. And so I just, I'll, I'll say this again. I don't have it in me. That's weird. Something's wrong with you. I check my salvation. You know, I'd come talk to me after church. And we might need to go through the gospel with you again. Some, something's wrong. If you don't have love for the brethren, should be an easy thing to do. We've got an example. We have the Spirit of God in us. And He will help us in these areas. So I hope this message was a blessing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the example of love that you gave us, for all the benefits that we've experienced of your love. And help us, Lord, to just uh, always remember that, remind ourselves of what you did, and help us to uh, use that love that you have just naturally put in us for the brethren to motivate us to do the hard things and to put up with things. And, I, and, and th you know, those things can be difficult sometimes, but Lord, love uh, never is. And so help us to remind ourselves of that and let it help us to do great things for you. In your name we pray. Amen.